Hey, 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 welcome back to another installment of Live from the Gateway. This is Sam Heisel, one of the co-founders of NFT Now. In today's episode, we're really excited to share a panel from our five-day festival during Art Basel Miami focused on the state of Web3 marketing. We discuss tactical ways to successfully grow Web3 projects, how marketing approaches must evolve in the world of Web3, how to navigate the mainstream consumer sentiment, and much more. This was a star-studded panel with marketing trailblazers. We had Amanda Cassett, the CEO of the marketing firm and product studio Serotonin. Prior to Serotonin, Amanda brought Ethereum to market as Consensus's chief marketing officer. She's also the author of the upcoming Wiley book, Web3 Marketing, a handbook for the next internet revolution. In addition, we had Avery Akineni, the president of Vayner3, who's helped numerous brands find success in navigating the Web3 landscape. We also had Jen Stiles, the VP of comms at OneOf, an NFT marketplace that has seamlessly onboarded world-class talent, brands, and communities in music, sports, and beyond. And last but definitely not least, Swansit, an incredible Web3 advisor and the former VP of Global Digital for Nike, Estee Lauder, and Revlon. But before we dive into the conversation, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at nftnow.com, where we distill the NFT landscape into an actionable digest each week so you can stay on top of what's happening and how to get involved. And without any further ado, let's get into it. Amazing. So super excited to have this conversation about marketing and Web3. have a bunch of absolute trailblazers with tons of experience across big brands, emerging projects. So really excited to dive in. I think one of the uh, the best starting points would be, I know community is, is a, a word that's used all the time within the world of Web3. And I, I'm curious, I know a lot of the focus has shifted a little bit away from kind of building and growing audience to really growing and engaging community. So I'd love to distill that. Uh, the merit of that, how we approach that. Can you kind of start, Amanda? I can. Um, so Web2 marketing is basically an arbitrage between customer acquisition cost and lifetime customer value. And you pay out for that arbitrage on a third-party platform like Google, like the Facebook meta suite, and you are permanently more or less dependent on that platform to continue spinning the growth flywheel. Whereas in Web3, there's this concept of community, which is really a combination of builders, investors, and users. Those three categories in the Web2 world are differentiated, but they get blended into a single economically aligned group called community. What the blockchain really is, is a substrate for building um, economic alignment engines on one level. And so a community is a place where those aligned people um, can be incentivized through extrinsic, re- in extrinsic ways and intrinsic ways um, to go ahead and market and grow a project, which is a way more sustainable and efficient long-term marketing strategy than paying out in this arbitrage to these third-party platforms. I love Amanda's perspective about audience versus community because an audience in Web2 can be bought. Yes, sometimes we think it's like a social media following, but you can also buy audiences with ads. A community has to opt in. 
And so when I was, I was the head of digital marketing globally for Nike, Revlon, and we tried to build communities for those brands. And the best way to think about it, which I think does apply to Web3, is communities two vectors. Commonality of purpose meets frequency of touch. You have to believe in the same things, but also interact often enough to feel a part of a tribe. So the Women's March was a movement, and it was shared purpose, but it kind of happened for a few weeks and then fizzled. So I wouldn't say it's an ongoing community. It's a movement. Instagram, we're on 12 times a day, so we get the frequency of touch. But I don't think we have a common purpose on Instagram, right? There's subgroups like food and travel and NFTs, but you don't go to Instagram's Instagram account to see what they Instagram that day. That's just not what we do. But if you can find the perfect intersection where you care about the same things, but you create an environment where people can interact with both you and each other often enough, that's community. And the one thing I think that makes it really different in Web3 is that it's participatory, because of how we interact, because of the mediums in which we communicate, whether it's online in Twitter spaces and Clubhouse or here today, if you don't give your community a voice, then you're probably left behind. And this started happening in Web 2 anyway. It's just now table stakes for Web 3. Yeah, when I, um, I was the global head of comms and marketing for WeWork. And when I first started at WeWork several years ago, I was like, oh, we're taking office space and we're building community and people are like, what? No, it's office space. But how are you adding value to your community? I think that's super important. Like, how are you, um, you know, when you're, when you're networking with people, rather than just being fast friends, what's your intention behind your relationship is super important. Um, I know you only have X amount of time during a day. And if you're on Discord and Twitter and you're in 50 different Discord communities, like, how do you really build a relationship with, with your community. And I think it's very important to be intentional about how you spend your time. Yeah, I think that intentionality is critical because like you just said, Jen, people can't necessarily be in 500 different communities. It's really like you're super fans. So as a brand, I think that there's a really amazing opportunity right now to build a brand leveraging what's happening in Web3 technology that creates these aligned incentives. And I think it'll be your biggest super fans, your biggest loyalists, people who actually want to talk about why they love your brand or your community. I know uh, there are so many interesting like Web3 native brands that I think are really showing that it's possible, whether you're talking about something like Doodles or Friends, people who want to self-identify um, even on their social media channels as their... Um, profile picture. Maybe they want to rock it. They want to go to doodle putt. They want to go to VCon. This is something that they love. Um, and I think that th it's very hard to do this. Like if you're just any old, like, let's just say you're any old water brand or you're any old microphone brand, it's hard to create a community around that type of thing. But if you have something that you can start with a small group of super fans, understand them deeply and build for them, there's a really incredible opportunity right now that I think we're starting to see some major brands lean into uh, beyond just the exploratory phase. Yeah, no, I love that. And then from some perspectives in that vein, too, it's like Web3 NFTs become their own marketing tool by building this this new sense of loyalty and ambassadorship. And Avery, I'm curious, in, in working with lots of big brands in Vayner3, and I know everybody on this panel has experience in helping big brands navigate the Web3 landscape, oftentimes when brands enter the space, it's uh, outside of the, the Web3 purists that are very passionate and knowledgeable about the space, often met with a lot of backlash from their, their broader community and their broader audience. So how do you help big brands navigate that? 
I think the best way for big brands to enter the Web3 space or any space, to be honest, is to do so authentically. It's like what is true to them in their purpose, what they communicate about, their brand values, and of course, their product. So they have to find the right intersection of what their existing consumers love and move them a little bit into the future. So I think the authenticity can depend on every you know, across every single brand, whether you're talking about, I'll I'll give an example that's literally here. So LifeWater, uh, they do a lot of interesting stuff with creators. And you all have probably seen many different like, you know, limited edition bottles of LifeWater. And when they were like, hey, we're interested in exploring the NFT space, it made so much sense to collaborate with a digital artist and then put that art on a LifeWater bottle. That's an authentic way for them to get in. That's something that their community isn't going to feel backlash around because they always collaborate with artists. That's part of their brand. Um, And it makes a lot of sense. Where I think you see backlash is where is on brands where, let's say, another water bottle that's all about sustainability, and then they launch an NFT collection on Ethereum. Then you're going to be met with a lot of backlash. You have to do something that feels native to your current audience um, as well, even if you're kind of transitioning them into being a community. I think that authenticity matters, even if you're not talking about Web3, right? In any type of marketing, brands have to find a way to create that authentic connection to the community uh, that they have already and the community they're trying to build. If anybody would like to add. Yeah, so at Serotonin, which is um, our Web3 native marketing agency um, and also product studio, we're not guns for hire. We won't work with any brand unless they're coming into the space with the right intentions. And so one of the first things we ask is, do you have a staffing plan to have personnel be working on this project long term? Because you can't just drop an NFT and bounce The community is not going to like that. And no matter what brand you are, you're going to get Web3 natives if you're doing something in Web3, and they're going to be vocal. Um, And then are you interested in partnering with Web3 native projects? Um, How is your token plan uh, remunerative to the existing Web3 community? How is it strengthening the existing Web3 community as opposed to siphoning resources and attention and diverting them elsewhere? And so as long as our partners have those intentions, then we can be the Sherpas, we can be the facilitators to, to help them be successful. But if they're coming in with the wrong motives, um, then it's not going to work. And actually, lately, I've seen something really cool, which is it used to be that we'd get outreach just from marketing departments where they'd want to do some funny gimmicky thing, or we'd get outreach from like a finance department because they wanted to, you know, do a little cash grab. Now it's innovation departments, which is which has been really interesting to me that, that all the outreach is coming from innovation departments because they know it's a bear market. And they're thinking about their long-term Web3 strategy, and they're starting to build. So it's actually really encouraging. Yeah, I think it's, I have a lot of non-crypto friends, and I think everybody should give each other a round of applause for the fact that everybody in this room and people listening have, have had brands like American Express and eBay starting to dip their toe into this space. I mean, obviously, we all work with big brands, but I mean, that's a, that's a huge kudos to everybody that's been championing this movement. I know Amanda's one of the OGs. The biggest thing is understanding. I think you guys nailed it with intention. When somebody says they want to do an NFT, and I said, well, great. An NFT is a format of a technology. It's not a thing you sell. 
It's like if somebody were to ask you what kind of music you listen to, you didn't say, I listen to MP3s. You say, I listen to rock or jazz. So when they say, I want to do an NFT, I'm like, but what is it? Is it a loyalty program like Starbucks? Is it a marketplace of collaborative design like Nike? Right? So get past the NFT. We won't even call it an NFT, just like we don't talk about the language a website is coded in. It's what is the end goal of this technology giving you to interact with your consumer in? I love that. And I think, too, one interesting notion is there's definitely lots of brands that are emerging from the Web3 space. And then on the other side, you have existing artists, brands, companies that are really figuring out how to navigate the space. I'm curious, and we'll start with you, Amanda. How important do you think it is to focus on building rapport and credibility and targeting what is a limited community of people that are actively participating in the Web3 space versus really focusing on onboarding your community into Web3 if you're an established brand? Yeah, so... My vision is a Web3 future that's a heterogeneous mix of existing companies with new companies. Um, I think that traditional and Web2 brands, if they do it right with authenticity, with conviction, have a really big opportunity in Web3. But I also think the agility um, and speed to market of Web3 native projects um, gives them a competitive advantage. So I think it's just inevitable that we're going to see both. Um, and that they can even partner with each other to grow, the, to grow the ecosystem faster. So we work with Sotheby's, and one of the surprises there, they were worried that they were going to have to onboard their whole roster of buyers, many of whom are older, not familiar with NFTs, into NFTs when they launched um, Sotheby's Metaverse with us. Um, and what happened was actually the opposite, which is the Web3 community got so excited about the validation that came from Sotheby's entering the space and entering it in an authentic, well-thought-out way that Web3 natives have flooded into Sotheby's traditional auctions. And people are talking about DAOs for buying traditional pieces of art. We saw Constitution DAO at Sotheby's as a result of this. There's now a... Um, uh, auction house, a Sotheby's auction house in Decentraland that is more that has more people in it watching a live auction than the actual auction house in New York, and you're getting bids from there in ETH. So uh, the Web3 natives will come if you do something that's authentically Web3, but you have to also create an experience that's going to be serviceable for people that are coming in for the first time. So both and. The answer would have been different six, eight months ago. Right, because we were still in a bull market in NFTs, and that small little community was really happy to be insular. And when the market crashed, we needed to look elsewhere. But this is no different than the dot-com boom or any early advent of technology. Um, I was on Randy Zuckerberg's show last December, and I'd said, this NFT market with PFPs, these profile pictures, is running too hot. There's 5, 10,000 10, piece generative collections launching every day. There's not 100,000 new wallets every day. There's a few hundred thousand that actively trade. And so we're going to have too much supply, not enough demand, and it's going to crash. It's no different than the stock market. It's no different than tulips hundreds of years ago. It's supply and demand. So while we're in a bear, and that's been painful for a lot of people, I think it's actually a great building phase. Because this is where you start thinking about fundamentals of a market 
and fundamentals of a business? What's the value you're creating? How do you actually sustain it? Past the drop of minting a bunch of NFTs to what does this look like in three or five years? Because you basically started a business if you launched an NFT project. So the best thing now is actually to bring in Web2, like Amanda said, to give credibility. There's a reason I still sit on two public company boards because that always gives credibility to anything I do. Now, of course, I vet everyone, every project, everyone's docs, at least to me if they're not to the public, because people know I'm not going to risk those public company board seats to do something shady. Now, it's a shame that we have to do that, but I think you fast forward in two years, it's a completely different conversation. I was, in a, I was talking to a group of people yesterday, and this guy's like, there's a power of a good recession, and I believe a reset is so important. I started my marketing agency in 2008, and it, 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 it really builds people's, uh, like, if you're leading with integrity, and you have credibility, and you work hard, and you put your head down, and you start building, I think that's what we're going into, and to me, it's, it's an exciting time, and uh, who, you pick who you want to work with. It's like a sports team. <laughs> yeah, and on that sports sports reference, I heard an amazing quote that I've been thinking about a lot this week. Um, with race car drivers, you can't pass 10 cars when it's sunny, but you can pass 10 cars when it's rainy. And I think that what we're going to see over the next like 12, 18, 24, 36 months is some teams and emerging Web3 brands doing really innovative stuff that might take a little bit to build, but when the sun starts shining again, they're going to be in an amazing spot. We also do realize that like not everyone is going to make it. It's not going to be wag me, unfortunately. Um, but from the and to answer your original question, Sam, to me, it's more of an and than an or. Yeah. I think it's both. There are going to be the purists, the Web3 natives who want to go bid into Centraland on sort of Web2 or even pre-web goods. On the other hand, you're also going to have normal people who don't want to have a 17-step process to engage with a brand or a community. Maybe they just want to go do something fun and interesting. And I think we're going to see a lot of that. And one thing we talk about a lot at Vayner is this de-financialization of the Web3 ecosystem. If you're talking to most publicly traded companies, they are have a lot of considerations and concerns around operating in something that's hyper-speculative and financialized. And I think that's right. If you're a company that sells snack food, you should not be trying to make money on NFTs. You should be looking at NFTs as a way to engage people who already consume your products in a new and interesting way and look to add value to their lives, not try to profit off something like a, a tiny you know, a few hundred thousand people who are super into this Web3 culture. So we talk a lot about that. And I think that will be what we see in the next year is a lot of the most successful Web3 native brands and projects starting from a less financial position than what we saw a year ago. An add-on point to that, um, I work with a company that works with, you said, snack chips, uh, Pepsi. So if you look at some of these Lay's potato chips that are on the shelves, now they're starting to change over, see a little QR code. And it takes you to a site that actually has you create a Pepsi loyalty wallet, but they don't call it a wallet. It's just actually to participate in the big golden soccer ball for the World Cup to win prizes and to meet people all over the world. Hundreds of thousands of people are now in Pepsi's loyalty program on the blockchain without calling it blockchain. I mean, that's how you bring people in. It's super exciting. And if you were a public company that were going the other route and speculating putting your assets in. I remember talking to some Web3 purists who are like, why didn't they buy ETH? I'm like, well, then our balance sheet would have been 75% lower and I would have been fired. So there's these considerations, but I love seeing the interesting and less technical ways that they're bringing people in. 
1,000%. And I'd love to just get uh, a bit tactical as well. I mean, you've all focused across a range of different projects in this space, helped them establish a community, grow their customer base. Um, what are some of the core principles and marketing tactics? And I know there's one size, there's no one-size-fits-all approach, but what are some of the key principles and tactics that you think companies and teams should evaluate? Yeah, so when I was CMO of Consensus and worked on bringing Ethereum to market with the first Web3 marketing team before anyone was calling it that, um, I, I think sort of Ethereum actually set a lot of those best practices in motion. We were running a very decentralized comms department. We didn't control what anybody said about Ethereum. We didn't control what Vitalik said. All we could do was grassroots bottom-up empowerment and support instead of controlling the narrative top-down. So one of the most impactful things we did is we coordinated a global network of local Ethereum meetup organizers because individuals, Ethereum's identity API was open. And it made sense for people to add, I'm the San Francisco Ethereum meetup organizer, I'm the Istanbul Ethereum meetup organizer to their identity because it's helpful to them for their goals and their career and their community. And so instead of thinking we had to control every one of these meetups, we brought together all of these organizers and we supported that group with resources. Okay, here, here, are, the, um, here are the logos you need for your decks. Here's money for beer and pizza. Here's a network of other organizers that you can talk to. And then here's kind of a roving set of new projects to give presentations all over the world through, through this network of, of meetups. And so you, you support it from the bottom up rather than thinking you have to control it from the top down. And every time we've taken an approach inspired by that, we've been really successful. So you pay attention to what people that are in your early community are already doing, and you figure out how to add oxygen and how to fan those flames rather than assuming that you have to come up with all the great ideas. Marketing in Web3 is just still marketing, right? I mean, yeah. TV was cool until internet came, and before TV there was, you know, print, but it's all still the same, and we will live in both worlds. The one thing that I think is slightly different is I think a lot more happens in social audio and Twitter than, say, Instagram, because it's a shift. It's a slightly more technologically focused first audience, so there's more on Twitter than the other channels. Um, but if I were to kind of break it down and thinking about this Web3 marketing ecosystem, I think it's letting people participate. I mentioned that a little bit earlier, but let me just give you um, a sense of the numbers about why micro-communities are important. If you're, say, an artist and you're streaming music on Spotify, if you were to sell 50 NFTs at 0.1 Ethereum, 50, to your biggest fans, you would make as much as 1 million streams of your song on Spotify. One million streams, which takes a long time to get to and a lot of marketing dollars, or 50 fans. And if you're a YouTuber, it's even worse. You only need 25 true fans to actually equate one million streams of your video on, spot, or on YouTube. So the mechanics are different. So what I would say is let people participate, but identify those true fans, because when you don't have an intermediary taking most of that chunk of revenue that direct relationship is not only more profitable, it's much more real. Yeah, I think everything that both of you said is spot on. I think that there's an importance of a playbook and having a vision. I mean, kudos to NFT Now and team. I remember when you all were talking about the vision of the gateway and look at it, it's come to life. And you really have to be thoughtful and have meaningful content, have great relationships to, to build a community and get people to, to show up. It's hard to get people to show up and, and to be a part of your community. It, it takes time. I know we all make it look easy, but it's not. <laughs> 
Kyle, I guess I'll say four things and huge shout out to NFT now for having us. Everybody give it up for NFT now and Sam. We love them. Um, So I think it's four things. First, authenticity. You have to be authentic to who you really are as a brand, whether you're marketing in web one, two, three, or four, five, six, seven. Authenticity matters. Second, you have to be interesting. Do things that are interesting, that people care about, laugh at, want to comment on. You have to be interesting in order to get people's attention. Attention is a scarce commodity. When you get into Web3, though, you have to be more transparent. I think there's an expectation of further communication from Web3 native brands and brands who do something in the Web3 space. Um, Because of these sort of aligned incentives with holders and founders, Web3 consumers expect a much higher level of transparency from their these sort of brands. And then the fourth thing is be resilient. It's not easy. And, you know, Amanda called it out. Um, the Web3 community is very vocal and they're going to have feedback and they're going to say it on crypto Twitter or in your discord. And I think being resilient uh, is going to be extremely important in the coming months and years as we go through a time that is unprecedented and unknown of how this is all going to play out. I think the best marketers are those who can be resilient and can adapt to how the market and, you know, sort of broader ecosystem changes. I have one more thing to say. I think it's really important, too, to not only have courage, but to be kind to each other. And, I mean, we're always learning. Like, I, every day I wake up, I'm like, oh, my God, what did I do? <laughs> like, I'm le- constantly learning from so many people of various different ages. And, uh, you know, the competition is... Why did you just look at me when you said that? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, but, but also, just, just have fun. And, and I'm grateful for all of you guys. Like, and to, you know, we're all friends, so we, yeah. we see each other all the time. <laughs> That's the best part. Like, we all do different things, but we're friends and we learn from each other. That is actually a notable difference. It's not even a marketing, it's a Web3 thing. You want to build with people that you like yeah. and... There's not as much of a competition in that way. And I hope that's a sign of a better future where we can collaborate and build together. But I respect the hell out of these women. I learn from them all the time. I'm honored to even be up here. Same. Same, Zs. Same. Um, so, so, Jen, we'll start with you from a comms and PR perspective. And once again, curious for everybody's perspectives. Um, I know you've worked on launching tons of different NFTs and projects with, with one of across a range of different artists, utilities, drop mechanics, etc. Um, during bull markets, during bear markets. At this current point in time, what are some key themes that you found to get the most pickup and to get the most attention and coverage? Yeah, it's, it's really hard to get press coverage, to, to be honest with you. It's not easy. And you have to have that compelling news story, um, whether it's, um, you know, we've, we've done at one of, we've done various different drops from Doja Cat to Biggie Smalls to Sports Illustrated to Whitney Houston. And it, it's certainly, um, you, you, you have, there's so much more pieces of the puzzle that goes behind a, a good announcement. And I love a good announcement. Uh, but you, you really have to work with various different teams to figure out where do you want that announcement to land? Uh, because you can't just go out and pitch a, different, a bunch of different people your NFT project. Be thoughtful and intentional about who's the journalist that you're going to work on or work with. Um, I usually, my, my train of thought is do a broadcast, do a crypto uh, article and then do a consumer article. And when we started pitching NFTs at one of and, and making the announcement of the company, a lot of my consumer media outlets were like, huh? I don't understand. What are you doing? What, what does this mean? And it, it's to me, it just shows how, how fast forward we are from a year ago to where we are now. And um, it, I, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like next year. There's this thing in with, with media and crypto where a lot of the people covering blockchain, crypto, NFTs at the big outlets, they, they can't 
do the technical diligence on any project that they're supposed to cover, and they know it. So they're really skeptical because they don't want to end up being the person that wrote about a project that turned out to be a scam, which is why at Serotonin what we've done is we've built these long-term trust relationships with both the journalists in the crypto space and also the journalists that are allowed to, because they usually regulate it pretty carefully so they don't have you know, a lot of articles about stuff that turns out to be a scam. So those relationships, fostering them over time, helping those journalists in their careers as they define the blockchain or the crypto or the NFT beat at those outlets, doing informative background calls with them, bringing in experts to help them diligence other stories, creating these long-term trust relationships with those guys and having them know that you're not a gun for hire, that you take projects you believe in so that you're actually putting your, my, our credibility on the line when we reach out about a project, that converts better than any other approach I've seen. I mean, I don't know if Keith is still here, but what he did with Time Magazine and Time Pieces is just incredible for the industry. Um, I, I think it's super special that um, traditional news outlets are starting to have a Web3 journalist, reporter, editor um, at, their, at their media outlets. Yeah, and of course we have ones like NFT now as well. So yeah. I think my perspective on yeah. press is um, is that it really matters for mainstream consumers. And it, with every sort of new launch or new activation, we always have a strategy of how who we are looking to target, who we want to know about this. Do we want mainstream consumers to know about this? Do we want New Yorkers to know about this? Do we want Web3 natives to know about this? Um, and you know, then working with journalists to also understand what they're looking to cover and what they're interested in, I think matters a lot. Building those relationships, also educating them. Like Amanda said, a lot of times this is totally new to them. So maybe that spe- means me spending an hour explaining how wine, how wine NFTs work to mor- the morning brew guys, but that's worth it because they then understand it a little bit better. They can have a little bit more flavor and perspective. I think, you know, the reality is we get a lot of inquiries um, that are related to super financialized, you know, remarks on the market. We tend to stay away from those types of communications. It's just, we are not in the business of giving financial advice at Vayner. We are in the business of supporting our partners to do interesting marketing work. Uh, So we try to do interesting marketing work and engage the hell out of it on social media. I think people put a lot of credence into press releases. My personal perspective is that social media, when done right, when done through comments, engagements, replies, can be just as effective and oftentimes more so than a traditional press release. Yeah, I want to add that there's not such a thing in my view as like just a PR agency or just like a content. There's only perception. There's just a big sea of perception. And your perception of your target audience knocks up against all these different channels. And they all need to be coordinated in a streamlined way in order to create the perception you want. Otherwise, they're going to knock up against one of these channels that doesn't have your message, and then it's not going to stick. And so you have to, you have to manage these things all in concert, and it's always going to be third-party proof points. The, the amount of trust in what a project says about itself in an announcement is always going to be less than what some kind of third party is saying about them. Maybe that's an influencer or a community member on social media saying something about them. Maybe it's a business partner saying, we worked with them. Maybe it's someone in the press saying, this is deserving of coverage. But getting those third party proof points together in that sea of perception is what matters, no matter which channel it is. Yeah, I love that. And as we come towards an end, uh, just have about a minute or two left. So this could be a kind of rapid fire down the line, one or two sentences Fostering mainstream adoption, right? Growing the general base of people that are using this technology. As marketers that are all kind of fight, want to be the rising tide that lifts all ships, what can different brands or communities do to, to foster mainstream adoption and do, onboard more people into the space? 
Um, I think I think UX and I think genuinely onboarding people into the space means self-sovereign wallets or progressively decentralizing self-sovereign wallets so that people have the opportunity to eventually, if they wish, take root ownership of their assets. You're not actually promoting real adoption of Web3 if you're custodying everyone's stuff and you're not letting them custody it if they want to. Adoption sits in usability and education. Make it easy to use where it's not 13 steps and it's safe but teaching people what it is. Sometimes even really easy examples, like when people resist and they're like, well, it's weird, it's new, it's uncomfortable. I'm like, well, you also probably said you would never buy anything on the internet. But if you Uber today, you not only bought a ride on the internet, you got in a stranger's car. And remember when you said you wouldn't use an iPhone because you couldn't live without the buttons on a Blackberry? So you start giving examples like that and it starts clicking and the education starts happening. Um, I started my career at CNN, and I remember when CNN.com was a thing, and a producer was like, who would ever go to CNN.com to watch the news? And so I tell that analogy to people, and I'm like, so who would ever go with with what we're doing in Web3? It's just like watching 20 years ago of how far we've come, and more people watch CNN.com today than CNN. Keep it simple. Do interesting shit and make it easy for consumers. Boom. End panel. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Well, there you have it. I hope you were able to walk away with some tactical takeaways on how to effectively approach marketing in Web3. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at nftnow.com, where we simplify the market into key points so you can stay up to date on market trends, upcoming drops, top project guides, and much more. As always, thank you for tuning in and have a great rest of your day.